Right, hello and welcome to Middle East Forum's webinar series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I'll be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening. Uh, there's really only one place to start today, and that's the inauguration of now President Joe Biden. Um, obviously, we'll be looking at it uh, from an Israel perspective. So the question, the big question of today is, what does this mean for Israel? Um, because that's where we're focused. And, you know, uh, uh, there's been a lot of commentary um, ever since uh, Joe Biden won the elections, exactly what this will mean for Israel. And we've talked about it in the past. Uh, my uh, feeling is, and someone who worked in the government during the Obama years, is that we will not see a return to uh, uh, the Obama relationship with Israel, which was one with very little experience, not that much prior knowledge, not overly sympathetic, certainly didn't have a history uh, you know, in, in diplomacy, let alone in the Middle East, let alone in Israel. Joe Biden is completely different. He has decades of experience in this area, decades of experience coming to Israel, talks about, uh, you know, his, 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 uh, his affection for Israel. He goes back to uh, the time where Golda Meir and he had a conversation, as they say in Israel, uh, between four eyes, in other words, uh, face to face. And, he said that was one of the uh, most important conversations of his life. Joe Biden is a friend. There's no doubt about it. Uh, would he agree on uh, where the Israeli government is today on every issue? Absolutely not. But certainly he's a friend. He's someone with experience. He's someone who knows the area. He's someone who knows Prime Minister Netanyahu, something that Prime Minister Netanyahu likes to point out, or has pointed out on every occasion over the last few weeks, keeps calling him my friend Joe Biden. You know, we go back, et cetera, et cetera. So, Joe Biden is not going to be returned to Barack Obama, but he certainly will not be the warmth uh, and the close uh, uh, sort of ties, really keeping each other in the loop, as we saw under the, the Trump administration. Uh, the big question for Israel is not the Palestinians at this point, because they don't see uh, much happening there, although the Palestinian Authority certainly uh, is more optimistic, and they've made quite a few gestures or uh, attempted to make gestures, including holding the first uh, elections, potentially, uh, since 2005, I, I believe. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas, as we've said many times before, is 15 years into a four-year term. Uh, he's called for uh, parliamentary and presidential elections in a few months. Again, we've heard this kind of thing before, so until it happens, we're not sure exactly what will happen, and there's been other sort of concessions, or at least, let's uh, say, outreach. Um, but the big issue for Israel is Iran, the Iran deal. Uh, what is clear is that it will not be the first thing on uh, President Biden's plate. At the moment, you know, there's talk of him returning immediately to the Paris climate change uh, 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 agreement. You know, th th this is something very pre uh, pressing, what he'll do with, you know, some other things uh, internationally are far, far higher up his agenda uh, than Iran. In fact, uh, you know, there's been a sort of uh, sigh of relief to a certain extent with some of the um, statements made by some of the senior officials, including incoming Secretary of State Blinken, who has spoken 
and said that, you know, this is not going to happen tomorrow. Uh, there's obviously going to be some uh, room for it. Iran is holding elections in a few months, I believe, in uh, May or June. Uh, and a lot of people are looking to that to see who will win out. Will it be the so-called hardliners or the so-called moderates, which are usually just slightly more moderate than the hardliners, but uh, sometimes are uh, a sort of a barometer where the Ayatollahs are wanting to go and wanting to show uh, to the outside world. Uh, so that's certainly something that the Americans will be looking out for, whether they are coming back to the agreement before then, that remains to be seen. But what is clear is that Israel is keeping an eye on Iran, first and foremost. And there was an interesting uh, statement, an anonymous statement from a senior Israeli official that basically in reaction to some Biden officials uh, who are basically saying that uh, before we decide what to do with Iran, we're going to come to the region and speak to our allies, including Israel and our Gulf allies. Uh, Israel, as I said, this statement was uh, purposely put out, which basically said if it's a, a return to the same agreement, there's absolutely nothing to talk about. So that's a very uh, strong statement. It's not a surprising statement because Israel, as we all know, was extremely against the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal. It felt that it did not take uh, Israel's concerns into consideration, kick the uh, can down the road, did not stop uh, Iran from uh, acquiring nuclear weapons capability. And we see today, they are ignoring many of the uh, clauses in the agreement itself. Um, so it's, it's clear that it had so many holes. And what Israel is looking for is if there are going to be is going to be negotiations, they need to, the Americans and the international community need to take a far stronger stance. What is clear is that uh, the Trump administration has certainly given the Biden administration a tremendous opportunity, not just uh, you know on, on many on many issues around the world, on China, on on other diplomatic uh, uh, agreements or diplomatic relations, because they took such a strong uh, stance, uh, basically it allows Joe Biden and his team to come in and play good cop to uh, the Trump administration's bad cop because there's sanctions, because there's you know a, a lot of steps before we get back to where we are, in theory at least, uh, it could uh, mean that the Biden administration could push for uh, concessions to just get back to where, uh, you know, where they were before the Trump administration. So there are tremendous opportunities there. And if the Biden administration play it right, then they can perhaps try and get some concessions out of Iran. Iran itself knows this game very well. And there is no, certainly no coincidence that they uh, admitted to enriching uranium to 20% level, which the, even the European Union said that there is no, uh, there's no mandate or no reason to enrich uh, uh, to that level, uh, certainly for those civilian uh, purposes. So. It's clear that Iran is also playing this game. Iran is trying to get as far down the road as possible because they can then also extract concessions. So it's going to be a very, very uh, interesting diplomatic game that's going to be played in the days ahead. Israel has a lot of skin in the game. Uh, we are in a different Middle East as we were four years ago uh, because of the Abraham Accords, because of the close relations now between Israel and many of its Gulf neighbors, even those that it does not have full relations with like Saudi Arabia, uh, there's going to be, as we've seen uh, in recent weeks, extremely close cooperation and coordination on this issue. Um, but uh, another thing that uh, we're likely to see is a certain amount of distance between the American administration and some of these uh, pragmatic or moderate Sunni regimes, which uh, 
which was certainly emboldened under the Trump administration, but under the Obama administration, you know, there was more of a focus on uh, human rights, civil rights, et cetera, uh, democracy, uh, which certainly, you know, doesn't come at a premium in the region. Uh, so it remains to be seen exactly where nations like Saudi Arabia fit into this, what the relationship is going to be like there. Um, but I can guarantee that Israel is in very close coordination with its allies and sort of crypto allies, let's say, under the, under the surface uh, in trying to really have a united front, because when the Biden team does get around to the region, uh, they're going to want to hear pretty much the same, you know, everyone singing from the same song sheet. So that really is the issue which is occupying uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. There's even talk of a, you know, a long session discussing exactly what it is that Israel is going to be pushing on this issue. So um, that is probably the number one issue that uh, will be discussed in the coming days between the incoming uh, administration. I'm sure at some point there'll be a phone call between President Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu. Um, so that will be the number one issue. The Palestinian issue is not uh, at this point in time uh, front and center, uh, simply because it's 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 a difficult issue. Biden has been around. He's you know he's he's been there, seen it, done it. He's he's outlived many Israeli prime ministers, many American presidents, and he's seen a lot of failures there. So I don't think he'll jump straight into that. But certainly there'll be a different tone uh, coming from Washington than we've seen in the last four years. Uh, and the Israeli uh, government will certainly feel that. Uh, Prime Minister will not have President Trump helping him during the elections or just before elections, as has happened the last few times. Uh, so it remains to be seen whether that will have an effect. Um, and basically, that, that's really where, where the relations stand. Uh, local politics, uh, it's been, let's say, relatively quiet over the last few days. Um, there were some snippet, snippets of uh, interest uh, for example, which again, wouldn't seem like the, the biggest deal. There's, there's a small uh, right-wing religious party called the Jewish Home. Uh, the Jewish Home was a party that originally broke out of the National Religious Party, uh, which uh, Naftali Bennett, uh, he renamed uh, National Religious Party, the Jewish Home, and then broke off to create Yamina, et cetera, et cetera. But the Jewish Home was under Minister Rafi Peretz, who joined the Israeli government uh, and broke off from Yamina after the last elections. It's a relatively insignificant party, which isn't expect, expected on its own to pass the threshold. But what is important is if it would join with uh, uh, Betzal Smotrich. Betzal Smotrich, if we remember, is the head of the National Union. Now he's called himself the Religious Zionist Party. Um, this is a party which is more right-wing, uh, religiously and politically, than Naftali Bennett and the Yelichikhel of Yamina, and it broke off. And importantly, it broke off, and, be, and, and what we know is that it will join, uh, almost certainly, a Netanyahu ultra-Orthodox government. So that gives him potentially a few more seats to get to that magic number of 61. At the moment, Batsalo Smartrich is anywhere between three and four seats, and as we know, four seats is the magic number to be able to sit in the Knesset. Anything lower than that, and you fall uh, below the threshold. What, what basically was a relatively meaningless primary for the leader of uh, uh, Jewish Home uh, turned into something far more interesting because uh, the person who was most likely to claim the leadership was an ally of Naftali Bennett and would have basically just joined Yamina and maybe they would have got a one or two more seats out of it uh, uh, getting closer to the election. 
what basically did happen is Prime Minister Netanyahu found someone uh, who ran for the uh, party leadership and won. And her platform or her goal was, with the supporting of the Prime Minister, was to join with Batsalo Smotrich, which makes it far more likely to uh, pass the, the electoral threshold. First of all, it takes uh, votes away from Yamina, which is a goal in itself for Prime Minister Netanyahu, but it also gives him potentially at least four, if not five more seats. And if he can get Itamar Benkvir of the even more extreme uh, party uh, to join up, there's even maybe one or two more seats. And that again, brings him closer to the 61. The, these, the, the number 61 at the moment seems very outlandish that Prime Minister Netanyahu would get there because if you, if you look at the recent polls, the most generous poll gives him 30 seats. The ultra-Orthodox parties let's say 15 or 16 together, and maybe Batal Smatrich and other four. That's at most uh, 50 seats and still some way uh, short of uh, the necessary 61. What did come out in secret recordings this week is Prime Minister Netanyahu, like many other parties, were courting uh, what's called the Shulmanim party, which is a, 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 a originally was an NGO uh, of small business, uh, uh, owners and independent workers, which apparently uh, total around 400,000 in Israel, a, a, a very important block of voters. And as I said, everyone was trying to court them. And there was a, a recording of Prime Minister Netanyahu trying to uh, court them and explain to him his strategy. And he explained why he hadn't been able to make any reforms. He claimed he'd never had a government. But most importantly, what he said is that he will get his 61. He claimed that Likud will get into the 40s and his allies will bring him over to 61. And the most remarkable claim that he made, I mean, to a certain extent, it's not remarkable, but the fact that he was caught on video, someone uh, so clever as Netanyahu to be uh, caught sort of saying this openly, as he said, basically, my political career is tied up to uh, the coronavirus uh, vaccine and the coronavirus situation. The better it gets, the better my fortunes, the worse they get, the worst my fortunes. Now, you know, we, we could basically argue well, that's any politician would say, would make a, such a statement as the situation in the country gets better, uh, then obviously the incumbent would do better and the situation gets worse and the incumbent would do worse. But the way he basically expressed it was that uh, the, the coronavirus gives him an opportunity to do that. And it's very much there for him to lay out his campaign in line with what will be an improvement in the economy, in the coronavirus situation, the vaccine situation. So it seemed very cynical. And they got quite a lot of play on that for the opposition parties. Gidon Saar immediately put out uh, a video basically uh, just showing this recorded video and explaining exactly what, the, what it meant. Um, but what we have seen is basically borne out what uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu says. As the uh, vaccine program, is rolled out and Israel still remains per capita the highest uh, uh, population to receive the uh, coronavirus vaccine. I think it's almost at two and a half million at this point. That's uh, well over a quarter of the population. We have seen the liquid strengthen. Uh, a few weeks ago, the difference between uh, liquid and uh, New Hope, Gidon Saar's party was around seven seats. Today, it's around 15 seats and possibly growing. So there is certainly a a very strong correlation between what's going on uh, in the fight uh, against coronavirus in the vaccine program and Prime Minister Netanyahu's future. At the moment, he's still a long way from his uh, uh, you know, 
low to mid 40s, which is what Likud would certainly need uh, to have a coalition without having to bring in a Bennett or a Saar. Um, but certainly he's moving in what he would consider the right direction. So there's, uh, you know, we, we've still got a couple of weeks until the lists are closed. There's still a lot going on, especially on the center left about uh, parties joining. Uh, Juan Jordai is really, hasn't had any strong effects since he's come in and he's getting very close to the, uh, the electoral threshold. Uh, there's talk of him bringing in Gantz, perhaps even Ofeshelach, who broke away from Yishatid, and some others. So there's still some movement there. Probably won't be any great shocks. Um, and also the Labour Party uh, leadership is also going to be, uh, uh, it's going to be held soon, Labour Party, for the first time in the history of Israel. Don't forget, it's the party that was really uh, uh, helped form the country. Could be the first ever Israeli parliament without a single member of the Labour Party, which would be extraordinary. But if they can get someone in, and there was even talk of Edward Barak returning, but in the end he decided not to, graciously. Um, basically, it would be, unless they really managed to get a very charismatic figure, someone who could really hit the ground running, someone with great name recognition, Labour Party will not be in the next Knesset. And as I said, that would be unprecedented. So. There's a lot going on in the right-wing block, on the left-wing block, uh, but today is all about uh, President Biden's inauguration and a lot of Israel watchers will be looking to see what that means for the Jewish state. All right, thank you so much. We have quite a few questions coming in. Uh, first one in is, what is your assessment of the new Secretary of State, Lincoln, uh, with regards to his expected thoughts about Iran and the Palestinians? Well, we heard, we heard um, uh, I think he went before the Senate, was it, when he, uh, you know, he had to uh, go before and, and, you know, and, and they asked him about his views. Um, what we saw was, you know, par for the course, not, not, not tremendously exciting, you know, nothing, there was no great ground being broken, as there rarely is in these sort of uh, events. Uh, as I said, he did, he did say some things which will be of interest to Israel. Uh, he did say that uh, not only would he stop an Iranian bomb, he would even stop uh, the Iranians from having uh, the capability, in other words, stopping them from getting uh, to the enrichment levels necessary, which would certainly be music to Israel's ears, because if you allow them to enrich to a point uh, without allowing them, uh, because the, uh, the likelihood is Iran probably will not actually create uh, a nuclear weapon the moment that it has the possibility to do so, because it's, it's, it's relatively simple and easy and relatively quick to acquire a bomb once you have the enrichment levels. But Israel doesn't want to even get to that point because obviously, as I said, we're, we're talking about a matter of weeks. Um, so that subtle uh, use of language there will certainly be music to Israel's ears, but there is still that sort of, you know, outstretched hand to the Iranians. Um, Israel would certainly prefer to see a lot of concessions on ballistic missile programs, on what it's doing in the region, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's, you know, there's a lot of JCPOA stalwarts uh, coming into the new administration. John Kerry, who was really one of the major, at least faces of the JCPOA uh, around, Wendy Sherman is another one. Uh, so it remains to be seen exactly what power each will have. Um, but I think maybe in the, in the coming weeks, we'll have an idea of what, what's going to happen. But as I said, um, it, it does seem to be, you know, 
they're coming into it with a strong hand because of what the Trump administration did on the Palestinian issue. Uh, Secretary of State or incoming Secretary of State, I should say, as long as he's officially given the position, uh, he did say that he will not return uh, the embassy from Jerusalem uh, to Tel Aviv. Um, and then he talked about the fact that the only uh, solution uh, to the conflict was a two-state solution, which is not remarkably novel, not unique, and pretty expected. Um, but the devil's in the details. We'll see exactly what that means. Will there be pressure on Israel to make concessions? Uh, will there be pressure on the Palestinians to make concessions? Will there be pressure or there'll be uh, intentions to try and get some sort of meeting between the parties? All of that we'll, we'll only see. But I, I don't think the Palestinian issue will be number one on the agenda. Uh, there's a lot to do, you know, as, as we saw in President Biden's speech, you know, 99.9% of it was internal domestic. Um, and I think, you know, with everything that's going on in the US and around the world, that, that, that makes the most sense. Um, so I think we'll have a certain amount of time. There'll be a lot of chatter. Maybe there'll be some visits. Maybe there's some phone calls, communiques that will we'll get a sense of where this administration is going to be on uh, issues relating to Israel in the coming days and weeks. Thank you. Are there any expected tensions between Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia in the short term if Biden, if the Biden administration returns to the nuclear deal with Iran? And is there any chances the Abraham Accords can enlarge out of MENA? Out of what? MENA, Mina. Oh, I am. Okay. <laughs> yes. Middle East and North Africa. Um, well, first of all, Tensions between Saudi Arabia and Iran are at their highest. You know, there is certainly no love loss between the two. Um, you know, it, it's under the Trump administration, Saudi Arabia was certainly a very closely held ally. Uh, and Iran, as we've seen, were, you know, completely not welcome and pushed out as far as possible. You know, we won't see a complete contrast uh, with the Biden administration, but we'll certainly see Saudi Arabia uh, uh, less uh, brought in and uh, Iran will be uh, reached out to. There'll be a lot more conciliatory talk, let's say, uh, towards uh, Iran. Um, and that's obviously something that's worried the Saudis, certainly worries the Israelis, and that's why there was this unprecedented historic meeting between Saudi and Israeli leaders a, a few weeks ago in, uh, in Saudi Arabia itself. Um, but yeah, there's, there's certainly expected... Uh, the Saudis are worried. The, the bottom line is that the Saudis are extremely uh, worried about this as far as continuing uh, the trends, the normalization agreements. Um, there was actually talk today that um, there was a feeling that uh, two more agreements were on their way. If only there was a few more weeks, even a couple of months. They're talking about Mauritania and Indonesia. Indonesia would have been massive because that's the largest, that has the largest Muslim population in the world, um, but it's not to be. Um, I don't think the Biden administration will be focusing on this. Uh, don't forget what the Trump administration did to secure these accords. We saw uh, the deal, the, the weapons deal for the UAE rush through just in the final hours of the Trump presidency. Uh, we saw what America did in recognizing Morocco's stand on the Western Sahara. So the, these, this is, you know, these, these, there was a lot of weight put behind it uh, by the Trump administration, which I don't think the Biden administration will do. Certainly if there are opportunities, they will explore them, but I don't think that they'll be ready to make the deals, the multi-billion dollar deals, the 
aid packages that we'll talk about uh, for Indonesia, the, the recognition of um, you know, claims of certain nations that may not necessarily sit in with historic American positions, it's, it's unlikely that the Biden administration would go nearly as far as the Trump administration did. So I don't know if there'll be that momentum. Uh, there's certainly the momentum has subsided and there's a different focus in the region at the moment. If, uh, if President Trump would have uh, won and continued, I think we'd have seen a slew uh, of more uh, Arab and Muslim nations normalizing uh, to some level uh, relations with the state of Israel. But now I think we'll see some hiatus. Um, and I think there'll just be, if there's any opportunities which will be in everybody's interest, then certainly they'll be taken, but I don't think there'll be any grand gestures as there, were, there was in the last few months. Understood. And is there any possible return to the JCPOA? Um, any follow-ups that could negate any negative effects through that, such as like a, a Middle East nuclear free zone under the non-proliferation treaty uh, with peaceful nuclear development to all Middle East nations in a context of regional security. I'm I, I'm not 100 sure what the what 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 the question is in there, but certainly Israel would not uh, favor um, a, a, you know uh, any pressure. You know Israel's not a signatory to the non-proliferation treaty. Uh, and it resists any uh, pressure. And there was some level of pressure under the, under the Obama administration, and not necessarily out, out outwardly, and it wasn't uh, significant pressure, but there's always this feeling that, you know, we would prefer it, but obviously Israel with its nuclear ambiguity, uh, it, it, you know, would, would, would not like that pressure. Um, so I don't see that that's going to be a useful tool in dealing with Iran because Iran just turns around uh, and says, well, you know, Israel, uh, their claim is that Israel is, has nuclear weapons, so why can't we? Um, so I think that uh, really the, the only way to stop this is uh, either pressure, continuing the pressure uh, from, uh, from the Trump administration or trying to explore some sort of uh, new treaty, because I think a return to the JCPOA without any further concessions about, you know, just really exploring a new deal uh, would be, you know, would, would basically take us back uh, to a situation where Iran then really uh, just continues its, its sort of uh, move towards hegemony in the region. As we've talked a little bit before, Iran's goals are not nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons are just a means to an end. To many uh, as we've seen, we see you know many conflicts around the the region, whether it's in Yemen, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq. Iran has its very strong hands in it, uh, so nuclear weapons just gives it a whole new level of power, influence, uh, and that's certainly something which all the other major players in the region certainly wouldn't like to see. Understood. Thank you. Uh, in recent months, the PA rejected by Gulf states uh, and has been moving closer to Iran, Turkey, and more messages with leaders of North Korea. What does that mean for the future? Um, I didn't hear so much about North Korea, um, but certainly, you know, there, there's been, you know, there's, there's, there's different levels. You know, uh, Iran has been a backer in the past, uh, but certainly not not as much as it was. There is there is a, a, a you know, Turkey has been a strong backer of the Palestinian issue for many years. They've used it as leverage for them. It's very important to be seen as a, 
you know, as, as a ruler, as we've seen in the region, the Palestinian issue, to a certain extent, is just a political football that's being used by some of the major players in the region, whether it's Turkey, whether it's Iran, and maybe in the past, a little bit more Egypt, uh, Saudi Arabia, who basically all want to be seen as the champions of the, the Palestinians, uh, because they, they think it plays well on the street, uh, the Arab streets. What we've seen certainly is due to normalization agreements that the Arab street and after the Arab Spring is certainly not where it was. You know, they have many other issues and the idea that the Palestinian issue motivates the, you know, the tens or, or even hundreds of millions of Arabs around the world is, is certainly no longer as true as it was, was once thought. Uh, but there are, you know, everybody has their regional ambitions. Turkey have their regional ambitions, as I just explained. Iran uh, do. So at the end of the day, the Palestinian issue for them is just, is just a, a means to an end. It's just, it's just a political football, something that they like to throw around. Um, but it remains to be seen exactly who, you know, who is closer to uh, the Palestinians at any one time. Obviously, Fatah have different backers to Hamas, and with these elections. Uh, taking place this year. If they do take place this year, there'll certainly be a lot of regional actors trying to ensure that the ones that they're backing uh, will win out. Obviously, uh, Hamas being, you know, an arm of the uh, Muslim Brotherhood certainly wouldn't be something that Egypt would like to see and some of the other uh, more pragmatic countries in the region. Um, so there'll be a lot of uh, behind the scenes work done by a lot of these regional actors to ahead of the elections to really to see who, who will lead the Palestinians moving forward. Because as we know, Mahmoud Abbas is certainly getting to an advanced age. He's in ill and poor health. Uh, the Palestinian Authority, or I should say Fatah, have said that they he will be their candidate uh, going forward, but uh, he's not popular. Uh, and there is this fear that Hamas could gain in popularity uh, and possibly uh, win the elections. but. You know, they, they boycotted the presidential elections last time, so it remains to be seen if they're going to put forward a candidate this time. Thank you so much. And one last question is, with over one quarter of the population already vaccinated, uh, when can Israel be expecting to, to loosen any lockdowns and, and regulations? Well, they just extended it, uh, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, for another 10 days till the end of the month. So at the moment, February 1st, but the numbers, um, according to medical professionals, are, are not going down uh, significantly. We, we reached an unprecedented number of over 10,000, which for a, a country of uh, Israel size, population size is quite a lot, 10,000 new cases in one day. To, I think yesterday it was down to 8,000 and something, but the numbers are not going down as, as, as significantly as they would have hoped by now. So they've extended another 10 days. Um, you know, there's even talk of perhaps because a lot of, as I said, a lot of the medical professionals are basically saying that the so-called British mutation and now the South African mutation are basically ensuring that there's a greater spread than there was before. So uh, that's perhaps why the numbers aren't going down, even though the vaccines, the number of vaccines are, are growing steadily. They're, they're saying that probably they need to get to a point where the majority of the population, Israel's over 9 million, so we're talking about four and a half million in that in that sort of range before uh, what they say is we can give it to some semblance of normality. At the moment, there's a, around 200,000 vaccines being given out every day. Some of those are first vaccines, some of those are second vaccines. 
that if we continue with those trends, we should get to uh, over half the population in a few weeks. And it's suggested that that could be when um, you know, life gets back to some semblance of normal, business goes back, shops open, cultural sporting events uh, start happening again, people can travel more easily. Um, but as everyone keeps on stressing, uh, whenever there are some news, everything depends on the numbers. Thank you so much. So we've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you, Ash Ashley. Thank you again for taking time to update us this week. Uh, for our viewers, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Ali Alphonet on, and just thank you all for joining us. I hope you have a great day.